Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, a podcast dedicated to educating the Latino community about entrepreneurship, investing, and business. Yo, what's going on, Latin Wealth family? Welcome to another episode to the Latin Wealth Podcast. I'm super excited about today's episode because today we have another guest on the podcast. And before we introduce her, I need you guys to do us a huge favor and share this episode with one other person that's going to need to hear this information. And I'm telling you, some of the things that we're going to hit on, very, very important. There's going to be somebody in your life that needs to hear this. So go ahead and share this episode right now with somebody. Go ahead and hit those three dots, send it to somebody in their DMs. Uh, if you got to email it to them, text it to them, whatever you got to do, share this episode with just one other person out there that would truly mean the world to us. And with that being said, a little bit about our guest today. She is a Latina financial therapist based in New York City. She focuses on combining emotional wellness with financial literacy to help folks like us cultivate a healthier relationship with money. Um, in addition to that, she is the co-founder of BAM Coaching, um, a coaching program that helps the BIPOC community take control of their money and achieve their financial goals. Um, so you guys can already see why I need you guys to share this episode with one other person out there. Welcome to the podcast, Jasmine, also known as BAM Coaching on Instagram. How are you doing today? How are you living? I'm doing good. It's been a, a long day, but I'm feeling really blessed. I was able to move, go to the gym, get some meetings in, mm-hmm. um, and now spend some time with you. So I can't complain. Everything's been going great today. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, you. I know last time we spoke, you were talking about you were in the midst of a move and all that. Uh, moving in New York City, I, I don't, I can't imagine how y'all doing it out there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It could yeah. be crazy, huh? It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. So now I live in New Jersey. I okay. took the leap, left New York City. Um, it was bittersweet because I am a New York City gal through and through. I shed a whole thug tear when I moved to New Jersey, mm. but it was for the best because those prices were just outrageous and we get more mm. space here. Um, so I'm happy to have made the transition and I'm not too far from New York, only like 30 minutes. And I was just going to say, that's the blessing about going to Jersey from, from my perspective, mm-hmm. you know, I see people going over there and they still get the the ability to go to New York city. You know what I'm saying? 30 minute train ride or whatever the case is. Yep. Not too bad. Not too bad. No, not at all. Not at all. Better than sitting in traffic. I think I can like do some, uh, like work on the train or mm-hmm. read a book or something like that. So I don't mind the commute at all. A hundred percent. It's funny because um, I'm originally from California. Mm-hmm. So I've lived all over California. And so the last place I lived at with my wife was Southern California. Right. So we probably lived, I say, an hour out of LA, about an hour east of LA. And I mean, getting down there, it was supposed to take us an hour. It probably take us like okay. two hours, two yeah. and a half hours to get down there. And it just be absolutely crazy. But yeah. I think all that to say, like out here in Dallas, there is traffic, but mm-hmm. it's nothing like New York, nothing like LA. You can get around places in 15 minutes, 10 minutes, yeah. 20 minutes. It's just, it's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> no, that's so nice. Yeah, Last week, I think I went to the city for a dentist appointment. I drove two miles and it took me over an hour and a half. So <laughs> just like madness. <laughs> 
I was like, why two, didn't I just not take the train, girl? <laughs> you said two miles? Two miles, 2.3, exactly. Man, you could have you damn near walked. Yes, <laughs> if it wasn't for the tunnel, I probably should have. Right, yeah. right, 100%. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's crazy. So crazy. talking about New York, uh, let, let, let's talk about your upbringing and you growing up in New York. What part of New York are you from? Um, talking, talk to us about growing up in the Puerto Rican household. You know what I'm saying? I'm Puerto Rican as well. So talk to us about your experience growing up Puerto Rican in New York. Yeah, I love being Puerto Rican in New York. A lot of people, a lot of our people out there. Right. Um, it was dope. It was dope. I actually, so I rep the Lower East Side through and through, mm-hmm. and I also rep Jackson Heights. So um, Queens and, and uh, Manhattan, but my dad and my mom separated when I was super, super young. So I spent half of my time with my dad in the Lower East Side, half of the time with my mom in Jackson Heights. And both with a loving family. I'm the only child. Um, so that was interesting. I had some cousins on my dad's side, but truly, I mean, it was a very middle-class working middle-class kind of family. My mom was working, um, for a large company in Manhattan and my dad actually was, or is a minister. Mm -hmm. So I grew up a lot, um, with our Christian beliefs and going to church every Sunday and then going out to dinner with my family after church and chopping it up. Um, we used to go to this place called Casa Adela, which is in the Lower East Side. It was like a very hole in the wall, homey Puerto Rican spot that we would uh, yeah, go and chop it up there. with. You've been there? Yeah, I'm like 99% sure I went out there maybe like a year ago. Yeah. yeah, it's like pretty iconic. It's, it's very hole in the wall, very homey. You know, it's it's really small inside, right? There's only a super couple small. seats. Yep, I've been there. Yep, 100%. Super Fire. small. Yeah, Fire, super, though. super small. But my dad, like, it was like a tradition. Like, we would just go after church and we would, like, go to Adela's. And mm-hmm. um, it was like like a homey feel. Like, you've been there. So, you know, it's like very, mm-hmm. like, hole in the wall. Like, nothing special, fancy about it. Like, with the decor. Like, you're, like, in somebody's, like, kitchen um so it was the best time but yeah I loved my time in New York City but it was really difficult to kind of see um sort of the challenges that my parents were facing as they were raising me albeit an only child but just like navigating money right in New York Mm -hmm. as my dad is a minister not really out here making a ton of money my mom is practically a single mom um supporting supporting the household so you know, we have some challenges, but I was very fortunate. My mom was working two jobs to put me through private school, actually. Mm. So um, she, you know, wanted me to make sure that I had the best education possible as I was going through it. And um, super grateful for that. And I did. I ended up, you know, going one of the first in my family to go to college to get a master's degree. Um, and yeah. Yeah, I love that. So talk to us about you getting your master's degree, you know, how did you feel, you know, what kind of emotions did you feel when you accomplished that, right? And once you got that, what was your mindset for what was next? Like, cause, you know, doing it, being the first in your family, it's like, I hit that milestone. Yeah. But did you have plans for what was next or what you wanted to do after? So let me tell you, I got to bring you a little bit further back because even the process of applying to school was kind of out. It was like an exciting time. Like my family was very for it. Um, But I think they were a little skeptical about the whole thing. Like, I think they were like, yo, like maybe we should try community. Like this is a lot of money. Like you sure, you know, you want to do. And 
there were some really tough discussions when it came to just what school I was going to go to, if I was going to go out of state, in state. Um, my dad was really pushing for Hunter, which is a great school in New York City, but it's a community, it's a in smaller CUNY college mm-hmm. um, here in, in New York. And I wanted to go out. I wanted to, I actually wanted to try something different. I'm like, you know, I love New York, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to be out, like have the experience that some of my friends are able to have and go to different schools and be away from home. I've never had that experience before. Um, You know, the farther side, I probably, I went to Florida as like vacation with my grandparents, but like, we weren't really going anywhere. Um, And so for me, I was like, no, I want to go to New Jersey. Even that's like not that far, but like to be far enough, you know, like Jersey seemed like it was super far back then. And um, I went to, I ended up going to Rutgers and my, I'll never forget. They were like, what are you going to, what are you going to study for school? Like in college? I'm just like, oh, I think I'm going to be a lawyer. They're like, girl, a lawyer, like that's even more schooling than just your bachelor's, like, you're going to have to, like, really take on a lot of debt. Like, you sure you want to do this? Like, I mm-hmm. wanted to go in for political science. And they were like, you can't get a job on political science, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. okay, okay. Like, let me see what I can do. And so, my like, I remember my mom and my dad just, like, pushing me into, like, business. They wanted me to do business school. Mm-hmm. Get my MBA because I could, or accounting or something like that, because I'd be able to find a job much faster. Smart. It was wild. But um, I tried it. I got into the business school. I did the thing. I took first semester. I said, uh-uh, this, this ain't for me. Like, I no, just, no, I no. knew, like. Accounting's different. <laughs> yeah, like, total. I'm such a talker, like a lively person. Like, to be sitting there in front of numbers, I was like, no, this ain't for me. So I, um, on the last day of being able to switch and apply for, you know, colleges, because the university is so big, you have to apply for the specific college that you want to be in. I decided Mm -hmm. that I was going to apply for the School of Social Work. I was like, I just want to help people. I want to support people. I want to serve my community. That's what I'm going to do. I had that spirit ever since like growing up in the church, like feeding the homeless and Mm -hmm. being with, um, you know, underserved communities and being able to support them. So I was like, this is where I'm at. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I went to the uh, president of that school and I said, yo, I know that this is the last day. I don't have anything. I don't have an application. I'm I'm coming to you on the last day, but I'm telling you, this is where I need to be. And he was like, you're in. Like, we'll just call it here. We had a great conversation. Wow. And he was like, we're just going to make it happen. Um, Dr. Battle, I'll never forget that conversation. And so that journey to just get my social work degree was uh roller coaster because I went in like three different types of majors that I thought I was going to get in just because my family was so concerned around um, what the financial limitations would be when I when I dropped out understandably so right like a lot of times our communities don't they're they're seeing this huge number on on what tuition is going to be and they want to make sure that we're not going to put ourselves in a bind um and so yeah like to get my master's was incredible Incredible. Yeah, I love I love it. So and we're gonna get into the student loan situation mm-hmm. and how you paid that down and what the actual amount was and all that. But from hearing your story, I keep I, I kept hearing the word debt, debt, debt. Like your parents were like very concerned about that. And like you said, to their credit, you know, they they don't want to see their young girl get into heavy debt. You know, they mm-hmm. want you to be safe. And you, on the other side, you want to do something that's outside of your comfort zone. You want to see the world. You want to do yeah. more. You want to do something that you're passionate about. Uh, but the reason why I bring that up is because I would love to have a conversation on why 
our relationship with money is so important, right? And that's not necessarily something that our parents learned or they were taught. A lot of them, um, you know, their relationship with money is is fear based, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 negative. You know, yeah. we hear again for you, your experience is probably similar to mine. But like, hey, money doesn't grow on trees, or we can only afford one or two pairs of shoes a year, or something like oh, that. Oh yeah. Right? Um, I would love to have a conversation about why having a, a relationship with money is important, a positive relationship, and for the folks out there, how we can help them shift that paradigm, that that thinking, that thought process of yeah. how, you know, they can go from the negative side to positive. Yeah, yeah, that's such a great question. You know, it's a process and it's something that I'm still sure. working through because we have to unlearn and relearn new things. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I always think about and that I try to make space for when I'm making financial decisions is to pause and really think about like, where is this voice coming from? Like, how do I feel about this decision? And for a lot of, like you said, for our family members, like a lot of it was fear-based, like I straight up scarcity, fear, like we're trying to keep food on the table. We're trying to just make sure that our rent is paid. And when you're living in that place, it's traumatic to constantly feel like you have to watch your back and like watch your money and see where everything's going. And you're like juggling all these things. And you're living in this hyper aroused state where you cannot relax, right? And everything that you're looking at is like sunglasses. You're looking through the worlds with these like sunglasses that everything, the shoe's about to drop and I got to wait and I got to watch for the shoe to drop. And those narratives are there to protect us ultimately at the end of the day, right? Like what mommy and papi did for me protected me. It kept me from getting into dangerous zones with my money, um, But there comes a place in time where we don't need those. We're not in danger anymore, right? Like we're not Mm. in the jungle and Mm. we're not here like trying to to keep ourselves from these dangerous situations. And so our mindset has to shift. And literally, psychologically, the pathways are built into our brain. There's intergenerational trauma that comes up, right? That's passed from generation to generation where we might not have been told like never get into debt or like these explicit conversations, but it's just the, the neural pathways that come up in our brain that we learn from specific situations. And I was just having this conversation with my husband the other day about that conversation that I learned from student loans, right? Like mommy and puppy being like, listen, don't take out all this debt. We got to be careful, you know, take out as little as you need. And what I internalized from that conversation was investing in myself is scary. Mm -hmm. Investing in myself, I need to be cautious about that. I need to think twice before I invest in myself. And I think that that's a major roadblock for me as an entrepreneur, right? To put myself out there, to take the classes, to get the courses, to hire the coaches, to pay for the subscriptions, like all of it is an internal like conversation that I need to have with myself, that it's okay to invest in myself. I have to unlearn what I learned and relearn something different. I'm not in a place of scarcity anymore. Mm. I love that. Um, Talk to us about some of the ways that you unlearned some of these things and relearned. Were you reading books? Were you, I mean, I think obviously it starts with feeding your mind with the right thing, right? You talk about uh, having a healthy body, but we also have to have a healthy mind as well. Like what yeah. you ingest is is important. As 
as much as like what you're actually eating, but what you're seeing, what you're listening to, what you're, um, you know, everything. Yeah. Uh, but talk to us about how you went from, you know, that mindset to the, the, the shifts of the shift. learning and relearning different things. There's so much power in how we speak, mm. how we speak about ourselves. And so I would reflect to anybody that's listening to really consider how you talk about money in your life, right? For so long, I, for instance, for me, for so long, I had that conversation of like, I'm broke. Like, mm. oh, somebody invites me on vacation. I can't go. No, I can't go. I'm broke. There's no money for that. I guess I, I like there's, there's food at home, right? Um, all of these conversations that we have about how we manage money or how we feel about money, it all starts, there's so much power in the tongue, right? How we communicate with our friends about it and, and even seeing how our friends communicate about money, right? Um, I think that that's such a huge thing. Understanding our relationship is to be aware of our own beliefs and to be aware of the community that we surround ourselves with. And so for me, it was, yeah, it was a lot of books, but honestly, it was more than anything that than that. It was reflecting. I literally would like sit down in the morning, I'd pray and I'm like, okay, let me write one word down and like, see what comes to mind. And for me, it was like budgeting, like budgeting or debt. And I'd be like, what are my thoughts when I see this word? When I see the word budget, like what comes up? I'm sure for a lot of us, it's like heebie-jeebies. Like, I don't want no restriction. Get that budget out of here. Get that Google Sheets away from me. (laughs) (laughs) I know for sure. Like, that's like what a lot of people really feel. But really understanding, like, why is a budget? Why is this word so upsetting to me? Why is this Mm -hmm. word so uncomfortable for me? Where does this come from? Like, what are my... Did anybody I know have a budget? Did I ever hear that? Oh, I know for me, my mom was like, oh, that's not in the budget. We don't have money for that. So this budgeting became this negative experience for me. I wanted nothing to do with a budget, Mm -hmm. right? So I think it's really just like becoming self-aware and like really taking the time to create space for us to um, invite that reflection and self-reflection around what those experiences have been for us from childhood, because that's where we learn it from. No, I, I love that you brought up like the power of the tongue, right? If you look at, if you, I mean, I'm sure you do this, but when you study like successful people, they never have the mindset of like, yo, I'm broke or I can't mm-hmm. afford this or I can't do this. It's, I always say, I think I've said it on this podcast before, like when you tell yourself you're broke or you can't, or um, it's not possible, you're you're literally shutting down your brain to any possibilities or any options to actually yeah. solving whatever that is right so even me early on like I was honest like when I was young I was probably literally broke but I would never say that Mm. I would never say that like in my mind I'd be like no I'm wealthy like I am enough I'm worthy I'm capable my bank account may not reflect it right now but it's coming to me and it it's mine right and I believe a lot of successful people think like that as well and it's not that people out there are broke you just have a broken mindset is what I think yeah where did you learn that great question I think I like I love your answer of self-reflecting right I think it was a gradual thing it's not something that you learn overnight but for me what was really powerful was surrounding myself with people that thought on a different level than me right that thought differently than me 
And it wasn't even like I had all these successful people around me. It was just like going on YouTube, you know, listening to speeches, um, consuming different things that were going to feed my mind and help me improve. And like I said, at a young age, I may have not understood what I was saying. And like, yeah, I'm capable. I'm enough. Maybe I didn't truly believe it at that time. But the more you do it, you're building up that muscle memory to where, man, like anything I say, like I truly believe in it. I believe it's going to happen. I believe it's going to come. Yeah. Um, But yeah, for me, it was it was a gradual process. And I love that you said that from time to time, you just sit there, you write out one word what emotions does that one word evoke? And then you go and you you kind of wrestle with it. You may even pray about it. You mm-hmm. reflect on like, yo, what did my parents, when this word came up, w- did they have arguments? Were they, you know, were there traumatic experiences and whatnot? So lifelong journey for me, for sure. It is. It's always a journey, right? Like even when you're, even though I'm like doing this work and I see clients in it, I mean, it still comes up because there are different phases of our lives, right? Like my life looks very different as an entrepreneur and I have very different money conversations and money issues than I did when I was working a traditional nine to five, right? Or when I was in college. So I think this conversation is always something that needs to be sort of reflected on and and thought about and considered. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I love that list. I love for us to jump into paying down the debt and paying down the student loan. So if you can walk us through, you know, you graduated, you got your master's degree, you're ready to to, to hit the streets, apply at the job or whatever, the, whatever it is that you wanted to do. How much was that student loan debt? And what was your parents' reaction to when they heard that amount? Well, I had about $60,000 of student loan debt. Okay. My parents did everything, and I mean everything, God bless them, to avoid me taking out as much debt as possible. So my mom actually moved from New York to New Jersey wow. to give me in-state tuition. She wasn't playing. She was not playing. Like She was like, all right, that's what you want to do? Fine, I'm going with you. <laughs> like We're getting wow. in-state tuition. And she still commutes to the city to this day. Like She works wow. five days a week in Manhattan. Shout out to um, mom. Shout out to mom. Shout out to mom, for sure. For sure. She really held it down. So um, thankfully, I could have come out with way more debt than I had, but I came out with $60,000 of debt. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, mostly for my master's degree from NYU. Mm -hmm. Um, And my first job was, well, all throughout college, I was working pretty much. I worked at the at the dining hall, I worked at a restaurant that I could walk to. Like I was always trying to figure out ways to kind of lessen the burden of taking on additional debt and have some money to, you know, go out and all of that stuff. Um, but when I came out, I was $60,000 in debt. I was a social worker and everybody, you know, the, the main concern was like, you're not gonna make any money as a social worker. Social workers don't make no money, right? They make nothing. And so it was stressful and I was super anxious about finding a job. And I will never forget, I actually had been applying to jobs for months while I was in grad school. And the day that I graduated, I was sitting at Yankee Stadium with my cap and gown. And I was offered my first job out after graduation. And I started like three weeks after I graduated. Um, and it was incredible. I was like so excited. I announced it to my parents at my graduation party that I got a job. 
And I mean, everybody was like through the roof, like so excited. And I was making $58,000 at this job. Um, so I had more debt than I had income, but that's okay because $58,000 was way more than I thought I was going to be making. And not too bad. Say, that's not bad for just getting out of college. I mean, Mm-mm. come on now. That's not bad. Not bad, not bad. <laughs> no, I was working at a hospital, which is typically where social workers will find more mm-hmm. money than like working at like a nonprofit or anything like that. So I was super fortunate. I got into this great job with benefits and all of that stuff. So my parents were super proud. I was super proud. But I was anxious. I had no idea how much taxes were when it mm. came to like New York City tax, New York State New tax, York federal City, tax. Yeah. I said, oh my goodness, there's nothing here. Like I need <laughs> to figure out how I'm going to make this work. Um, I wanted, of course, to move out. I wanted to get my own place, like, mm. you know, do all the things. But I was literally back in the projects in New York City and Manhattan, the Lower East Side, and saving all of my all of my money and trying to figure out like what is a good cadence for this. So my goal was I was really vacillating in New York. You could get or for social workers in general, you can get loan forgiveness. This is a huge thing for us, right? After 10 years of service at a qualified company, you can uh, potentially qualify for loan forgiveness. And I was debating if I should commit to working at this nonprofit, even though I was making, even though I was making great money, technically the company that I was working for was a nonprofit hospital. Um, and so it qualified. So I was like, do I see myself here for 10 years, like working at this job and, um, seeing if I can get loan forgiveness and what if something happens? What if I don't like it? Like so many thoughts. Um, but ultimately with a lot of anxiety, with a lot of talking about it with my parents and, with my then boyfriend, now husband, I decided I was going to pay it off. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just started taking on tons of jobs, just Mm -hmm. working, 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 grinding, grinding, grinding. So looking back, and the reason why I want to maybe look back, because maybe there's somebody in your situation that you can help. Um, Before I ask you this question, currently, the US student loan debt is over $1 trillion um student loan repayments just started up i think about a month and a half ago maybe two months mm-hmm. correct me yep. if i'm wrong um looking back at you picking up all those jobs you felt like that was the best thing to do do you think yeah i, I go back and i do it all over again I, I do a bunch of different jobs maybe you were uber whatever it lived or do you think it would have been beneficial to start a business to help you generate more income like what what is your thought process on that while you answer that i'm going to grab my charger but go ahead and continue please yeah yeah that's a great question do i think it would have been smarter to start a business i mean i didn't have it, it's a risk because you can it's yes hindsight 2020 looking back of course i would start a business and but what if that business fails right yeah. what if it doesn't work out then you're, yeah. you're probably still stuck with the debt yeah but um, the reason why I asked that is because I think the immediate mindset for individuals is like, let me just get a quick job or let me like, you know, uh, Grubhub or whatever the case is, deliver food. Or the other option possibly is to take a step back to see if I can generate some additional income by a side hustle or something that I'm good at and yeah. maybe turn that into a business or something, right? Yeah, that's such a great freaking question. That's such a good question. 
I'm like, yo, you got me thinking here. If I went back, I honestly didn't even know. I was so early on in my career that I didn't feel confident enough to get a, to get a job or to get a, to start a, a business. So I don't know if at that point, going looking back, if I would have done that, just because I would have been like, I don't know where to start. And I didn't feel comfortable within my own skill set as a social worker, maybe to start a private practice or do anything like that. But certainly if there was somebody out here that was like, I, you know, as long as it's not in conflict with your job, but like I am a accountant and I can help you sort of sort out your financials or like do your taxes on the side for like family and friends. And it wasn't competing with your, like your day-to-day, like a hundred percent do that, like do something with ease. Like I chose something that for me felt easy to do that wasn't burdensome. And so even if you do pick a side hustle, like don't pick a side hustle, that's just lucrative pick a side hustle that is going to either fulfill you or advance your career in a direction that you want to go even if it is starting a business down the line like for me i wish i would have taken a side hustle like i don't know working at a some some company that taught me more business skills mm-hmm. right even if i wasn't making like top dollar necessarily but i knew that that would help me sort of in my path what i decided to do was I was going to, I ended up serving like, like waitressing um, because for me, it felt easy. I'm a people person. I can, you know, talk. I love food. Like to me, it just felt very natural. I was used to doing it in college. So it felt very natural. I'm just going to pick up a job that I know that I don't have to spend a ton of time investing in. But if you have something that you can turn into your own business, I think a hundred percent go for it. If the, especially if the costs are low. Yeah. No, I I love your answer because I think it's, and I love your perspective because I think it's important if you are in that situation to do something that, like you said, comes easy to you, that comes natural to you. Because when you're in that situation, you could easily be triggered by your past traumas. It can be stressful. Mm -hmm. Um, You're working a a full-time job trying to pay down this, this loan and you're trying to start a business that could maybe send you over the edge. Right. But if it comes natural to you to be a waitress or um, to work at a sneaker store, whatever the case is, then um, I-, I love that perspective to go ahead and do that because it's not something that you have to to think about too much. Right. Mm-hmm. I always talk about like throughout your day to limit the amount of decisions you have to make. So yes. you can focus that energy in those, that energy on the big decisions that you have to make. Right. Yes. If you're constantly like stressed out about like, man, this side hustle, this job or whatever the case is, it's too much when it comes to you actually paying down the debt and that's your ultimate goal, you're going to be burnt out, right? You're not going to even want to deal with it. Exactly. I love what you did. I think that. Yeah. that, that, And that's a good point. Like, I love that idea of like not making enough decisions. I think that that works out. That's actually what I do in my life. Like, I'm like, yeah, what I'm having for breakfast every day. I'm such a habit person. I'm having the same thing. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> no, I, it, I'm not going to go too deep into it because the people know, like, I'm, I am the guy that I will wake up early and hit the gym. But the night before I have my clothes laid out, yeah. like I'm ready to go to school. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like oh, the no. shoes, mm-hmm. the socks. The water, all that is ready to go. Because when I wake up, I don't want to have to think about any of that. When I get to the gym, that's when I'll start making decisions, right? Or even even when I'm at the gym, like I don't even really want to think about the workout. I just want to do it. I just want to flow. Yeah. But when it comes to 
the end of the day and I have to record a podcast, I'm ready to go, you know? Uh, But getting back to the student loan situation that's going on in America right now, what are your thoughts about that? And how can maybe we can make some recommendations to individuals out there that are in your situation or something similar? That are paying off student loans? Yes, 100%. I would say understand what your values are. I am not one of those folks that are like, you have to pay student loans off like immediately tomorrow, right? Like there is a lot of anxiety around having student loans. And for some people, it doesn't bother them, right? They're like, it's, and I'm not saying you have to die with them. Like if you want to pay them off, you should pay them off. Um, But I think you have to understand what your relationship is like with having debt. So that you can decide how you want to go about it. For me, it was super anxiety provoking to feel like I had this debt every month, right? I wanted to reduce the amount of money that I that needed to go somewhere. So that way I had more money that I could use however I'd like. That's not the case for everybody. And so I recognize that. And so I would say really reflect on what it's like. The reflection that we talked about earlier, write it, write down student loans. Like what comes up for you? I'm sure it's a lot of frustration. I'm sure. Um, maybe apathy, anger, like whatever it is for you, like write it down and get, get curious to like what that feeling is for you before you go into making a decision, because there's so many opinions out there around like how you should pay it, when you should pay it, if the government should pay pay it, like so many opinions, you have to do what's best for you at the end of the day. I could have certainly waited for the government to help me pay it. I had a program literally outlines for me 10 years, we forgive it, right? I had that option available to me. The relationship that I was comfortable having with debt did not allow me to, or or I chose not to uh, maintain that debt for that long. I paid it off within a few years, I think less than five years, um, because that was a value that I had. That was like mm-hmm. those, those beliefs that I had that I didn't know at the time were beliefs coming from my mom and my dad. Um, so I would just say really get curious about what, what that looks like for you. And then, and then sort of decide how you want to move forward, try to clear out the noise. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really important to do to figure out like, cause it's not a, a one size fit all situation. That's not a one not. solution. You know, everybody's different. Everybody's going through different seasons right now. This may be the Absolutely. season where you're like, yo, I'm trying to get my life right. I, I can't even deal with student loans right now. Let me see if I can defer it or something like that. Or maybe you you are in a season where it's a little bit more fruitful and you want to start paying it down. So I do love that uh, perspective. Now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you and your husband had uh, debt up to $100,000. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would love for you to kind of walk through how you guys began to start paying that down. Because when you think of that number, that just seems like you're you're swimming and you're you're never gonna like you're never gonna get up, up above the water, right? So talk to us in that five year mark. I know you said five years to take to to yeah, pay down your student me. loan. Yeah. Um, but overall, you know, what what does that process look like for you guys paying that down? And even, you know, come on, that's marriage. You know, that's that's a relationship. You guys are in it together. I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys had conversations and disagreements and whatnot. Talk to us about you know, that process for you guys? So our debt actually, um, when we got together, this was eight years ago, 
I was in that conversation of like, I want to pay this down. And he had already worked on paying off his debt by the time we mm-hmm. met. And he was in his, he was like 26, 27. So he did it in like four years as well, right before we met. Um, and for him though, I can speak, if he were here, he'd probably tell you it was anxiety based as well. He was like, I got to get this out off of me. He hates it. Um, but he helped kind of support me in my, in my journey of paying it off and having lots of conversations with me around what I wanted and how, if I saw myself in that position and all of that, um, of staying at the, at the, at the position that I had at the hospital. Um, and so it was difficult because it put a strain on the relationship in some ways, right? I had to work extra. I had to take time that I would have from him, um, spending time with him, getting to know him because I was working till like one in the morning on the weekends, right? I would Mm -hmm. spend my weekends doing that, or I was working at the dialysis center. I was tutoring, like there was always something. And so I think having those conversations with your partner is absolutely crucial because it is going to impact whether you're married or not. Right. Like it impacted the way that we could vacation. It impacted the way that we could go out to dinner. It impacted like holiday gifts, like everything was impacted because I had this goal of mine. Um, And what I will say is in that process for myself, in order to make that goal sustainable for me, I had to give some room to enjoy the things that I wanted to enjoy. So I will, you know, work a ton of hours, but I'm definitely going to go on vacation this year. You know, Mm. I'm definitely not going to say no to brunch with my girlfriends if I can get the day off. Mm. Right. And so it was a challenge, but ultimately I think having those open dialogue conversations and making sure that you're on the same page with our partner when it comes to debt and how we manage that, I think really saved us a lot of trouble in the long run. Um, obviously we've had disagreements around money years later, right? Like when we moved in together, how we're going to move in together, what's the rent going to be like, what are we paying? How we, how do we split everything? I mean, there were tons of conversations that we could have about money down the line, but, um, having his support was super crucial in helping me be able to pay that down and feel supported. And like, you know, those moments where I was like, Oh, it's never going away. This interest is kicking my butt. And him being like, no, you got this girl. Like, what's the game plan? Like, how are you breaking it down? How much can you contribute per year on this? And what's the time frame? And really being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel was super helpful. So with some of this debt, um, you mentioned the interest. Were you able to maybe contact, I'm just curious, were you able to contact the company and like work down that interest? Like, was there any like wiggle room there? Or, I mean, I know nowadays, there ain't no wiggle room. <laughs> you you got to pay that interest, right? On those credit yeah. cards and whatnot. So uh, when you were paying it off, was, were you able to like maybe get some help? What did, what did that look like? Not really. I mean, I just okay. kind of took it and I was like, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to take it for what it is and continue to pay it. And I, I use the debt snowball method, which some, some folks may or may not know, but it's really starting with the debt that is the smallest and working your way up to the largest debt. For me, that was really helpful, a really helpful strategy because I know that I'm somebody that wants to feel like I have wins Mm. very quickly. So it didn't matter the interest, even though the interest was, you know, kicking my butt in some ways, I, I didn't focus on the other way or the avalanche, which some people call, which is focusing on the highest interest first and working down. I really wanted to feel like I was getting those motive, like getting those wins in. So I started with the smallest and worked my way up. I think that that's really critical that you brought that up because I think 
me, I'm more of the anvil, the avalanche type avalanche. of person. Like, let me just get the highest interest out the way. Uh, but I love that you brought up like, yo, I understand that I need to see small wins. That's really important for me. And that's mm -hmm. going to help me get to my goal. Um, not only quicker, but just the longevity of it, right? The longevity, you like can you, stick with it. Yeah, exactly. You can stick with it. So I love that you brought that up. That's that's super critical. Yeah. My husband's an avalanche too. So that those yeah. are the types of conversations he'd be like, I start with the highest interest. I'm like, no, I need I need like a quick win. I want to feel like I paid X amount down, you know? Yeah, that's, so. that's fair. That's fair. Mm -hmm. I love it. So you pay down the debt. It took you around five years. Um, how long did it take your husband to pay his off? It took him about four years. Four if years. I got, if my math is correct. Yeah, it took him about four years. So once you paid yours off, what did y'all do? Like, what was what was the, the feeling? Like, once you hit that that last uh, submit button and you paid it off, it was cleared. Talk to us how you were feeling. Like, what was your thought process? I know you probably won't want what, what What was your thought process? Well, I paid it off right during the pandemic, like mm, February, March. That was like my last payment. So there was a lot of conflicting feelings going on where I was working in a hospital. I was working in palliative care, which is essentially hospice. Mm. And so there was a lot of like death and dying and what I was doing, a lot of sadness, mm. a lot of grief. Um, mm. And it was very challenging to hold both of those emotions at the same time when there was so much just you know terrible things going on in the world um so yeah I don't think I necessarily I mean it was exciting but at the same time I don't think it was what I envisioned of being this like celebratory moment of like doing something or celebrating with him and like going out to dinner or, like going on a vacation or anything like that because the world was shut down for so long mm -hmm. after that yeah hundred percent. That makes sense. That's a, that's a crazy time to, you know, hit such a milestone and, you know, you still got to deal with the reality of life of you going into yeah. work and people passing away and just the uncertainties of, man, I don't even know what's going to happen next. Yeah. So I want to transition a little bit and mm -hmm. I want to talk about your transition into entrepreneurship. And I think you mentioned on our, our phone call, it, you, you you transitioned about a year ago, maybe two years yeah, ago. A year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to us about that. I mean, that that's a big move. Why did you want to make that move? I mean, I, I can assume why, but talk, talk to us why you wanted to make that move. And, um, you know, maybe some of the challenges that you have recently overcome through making that transition. Yeah, that's a great question. So I started, or we both started, BAM coaching, which is by any means is what it stands for, by any means mm -hmm. coaching. We started that two years ago and we were, I was doing it part-time. We were both doing it part-time, kind of like doing financial coaching um, for BIPOC millennials, uh, individual coaching, couples coaching. And we were running both businesses or running that business plus our regular jobs. And it was just taking a toll. It was just taking a really big toll on us, on our marriage, on our social life on all of it it was something that we were passionate about and wanted to continue doing but it was just tough to to navigate both we were getting married I mean we were just balancing a ton of things all at once um and I was growing increasingly frustrated with the work that I was doing at the hospital I feel like I had this idea that I was going to like go up the corporate ladder and like 
help my people in that way. And like, it was so challenging. I felt like I, I really was like faced with a lot of like, just like racial sort of things in the hospital that like were just yeah. limiting me. And I was like putting myself out there. I was taking classes. I was doing courses. I was, you know, supporting in all the ways I can doing all the extracurricular things. And it just wasn't, it wasn't working. And then I, and then I would come home and I'd do this job and I was just felt like I was so stretched in all directions. Um, and I said, you know, I'm going to try to see what this is like for me to do this entrepreneurial stuff. I, I'm scared. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I feel like I have more opportunity for growth here because truly the only thing that limits me in entrepreneurship is myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, my health outside of that, but like in a corporate setting, like you, you really have to fall in line, right. For the lack mm -hmm. of a better word. Right. So for me, um, I was like, I just want the opportunity that if I'm going to, if I'm going to bust myself, like bust my butt doing all this stuff, like I want to see the fruits of my labor and and know that it's working out or knowing that it, that all this work is going towards something and um, had a conversation with my husband, one of those really challenging conversations <laughs> because we were paying for our wedding. We were in the middle of wedding planning and to be like, hey, by the way, I am wanting to quit my job is a tough conversation <laughs> yeah. to have when yeah. we have this huge wedding expense. Um, and I was turning 30. We were planning a really big trip. I went to Spain with like family and friends, like 12 of us went to like Spain mm. together. It was incredible, but expensive. Um and so he was like, okay, girl, like let's see what we can do. Let's crunch these numbers. And we decided we were going to go through with it. I actually started a second company called Honest Hour Therapy, which is my private practice. And I was going to see clients in my private practice. Um, and I thought, you know, while I continue to build a business acumen and grow the financial coaching company, I can still see clients on the side through this therapy practice. Um, and yes, yeah, so I took the leap in October of last year, I actually September of last year, but started the business, uh, the second business in October of last year. And it's been a journey ever since. I mean, there's not going to sugarcoat it. There have been great months, but there have been really slow months, right? Where I'm mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, what did I do? How did I get myself here? Um, but it's been a process. And I think it's something that I I feel like, I know not everybody can be an entrepreneur. Not everybody wants mm -hmm. to be an entrepreneur, but if anybody out there wants to be an entrepreneur, go for it because it's the best decision ever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And talk to us for the people out there. Why is it the best decision? And I, we're yeah, I would love to know your perspective because you just said like, yo, there's some high months, there's some low months. For some people out there, like they they don't want that. They would love the consistency. So why for you do you think it's the best decision? I'm somebody that loves to continue to learn and to grow. Mm -hmm. And I think it has really pushed me in so many areas of my life to grow. Like personally, professionally, like the connections that I'm able to make, obviously meeting you, like it's given me a lot more flexibility. When I was at my nine to five job, I was very structured, incredibly structured. Like, like we're talking about breakfast being like put out like breakfast, like my, like you said, the clothes the day before, like I had to get home at a certain time. I needed a certain amount of rest. I needed to go to the gym at a certain time. Like there was just so much structure to get everything done. And I feel like this really was able, I was unlearning how to, um, how I want to live my life based off of my own values, based off of the fact that I, you know, I value health and I value rest and I want to get this amount of um, 
time to be able to spend with my family. Like my grandparents had a surgery. I'm able to like go and spend time with them and continue to grow and work in my business. And I can make more than what the salary is, right? Like that there's, there's potential there that I could make more than what the salary is. And I don't have to wait the two years for me to come and write my goals and figure out what I'm going to, what benchmarks I'm going to hit in order to get, uh, to justify why I deserve a 3% raise. Like you can make your yearly salary in a month. Crazy. Like, <laughs> come on now. I mean, I haven't yet, but I it's can coming. eventually. It's coming. No, it's, it's, coming, it's, yeah. it's I'm going to say it right now. It, it's coming for you. It's going to happen for you. Because I, I can tell by like your passion. I can tell by um, how much you love doing what you do. And your work ethic is going to happen for you without a doubt. Thank now, you. my question for you is when you were in that environment where everything was so structured, did any of that translation translate to entrepreneurship? Did you know, because uh, you said you had to unlearn some things, you know, th- were you able to apply some of that to entrepreneurship? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it like really messed with like my creativity. Like you said, like I was, because I was working this nine to five, I was making all of these decisions throughout mm-hmm. the day and really exerting so much energy in that. And when I came home, I mean, I was passionate about the work that I was doing, but I don't, I can't say with full certainty that I was at my best because mm-hmm. they were getting the leftovers, right? They were yeah. getting what it was when I finished my daytime job and I was uh, coming home tired, rushing to make dinner and then serving my clients. Not, mm-hmm. you know, 9 a.m. Jasmine after avocado toast Jasmine. <laughs> like they were getting yeah. like three meals later, two cups of coffee mm-hmm. later, right? So it wasn't my best. And I think that that's definitely made the biggest impact in my in my business is like, now I am able to show up in a more authentic and 100% kind of way. Um, of course, I learned some things from from my nine to five job that I've been able to translate. And I'm mm-hmm. grateful for that experience. Just the connections, how to network, how to c- communicate with people. I mean, I was a social worker. So I, you know, I met people from so many different walks of life with so many different types of issues. Um, and I think it helped me put things into perspective for a lot of things. Yeah, a hundred percent. And um, it's funny that you brought that up because my therapist, you know, we we had a conversation a couple of times at the beginning of the year, and I was like, "Yo, the work burning me out. I barely had time for podcasting. This, that, and the fifth. And she's like, "That's the issue. Like, you're giving your effort, all your energy and your effort, to make somebody else's dreams become a reality, but you're not yeah. even pouring into your own dreams." Yeah. And you said you said what she said as well. She said you're giving your dreams your leftovers. Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to, you know, achieve what you want to achieve as you know in the time frame that you want to achieve it? If if you're giving it your leftovers, if you're giving it like five percent, you know, you're drained and whatnot. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely so for me in my perspective. I'm not sure if everybody is built for entrepreneurship, but I feel like everybody is built to be financially free. Oh, a hundred percent. Right. So I think, um, and you know, with the financial freedom, then you can kind of control, like if you even want to work a job, if you want part-time or whatever the case is. So that's my perspective on it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I definitely don't think it's for everybody. I think that there's a lot of, um, a lot of tenacity that has to go into it. I actually just, I was talking to somebody the other day who 
went into entrepreneurship for a year and she was just like, this is not for me. Like it takes a lot of um, work to structure, to create the structure, to pour into it. Right. And um, even though she was making like, she was making more than she was making in her regular salary job, Mm. but ultimately like that, that um, it weighed on her. It drained her Mm -hmm. to to have to like, think about how am I going to structure this? How do I want my business to look? What do I want to do? Like, it's not for everybody for sure. But yeah. if it's something that's calling you and you're passionate yeah. about and you're interested in, certainly um, encourage you to take the leap. No, I agree with that 100%. And a uh, couple more questions and we can start wrapping this thing up. Yeah. You you uh, mentioned BAM by any means coaching. Can you talk to the people out there? What type of services do you guys offer and what you guys do for individuals? Yeah, great question. So we are a... Um, financial literacy and mental health-ish like combined mm-hmm. companies. So we it. help BIPOC millennials um, come up with a financial game plan that they can actually stick to without mm-hmm. feeling shame and embarrassed, which is so much of what we see on the other side is so much guilt and shame and embarrassment around where people are with their money um, and feeling like there's something wrong with them because they can't stick to a plan. And so our goal is to kind of help them uh, feel supported in the process, to know that they are not alone in it, to help them unlearn some of those uh, money stories that they have from childhood, relearn some new things, while also implementing some strategy and financial literacy into um, what they're doing so that they can be most successful. And we offer that on an individual level and uh, couples coaching as well. Mm -hmm. And do you guys have, I think I may have seen it, maybe I'm wrong. Do you guys have like a group setting where maybe people can come? Not, do you guys have like a group setting situation? So right now for 2023, we've been running masterclasses um, every, yeah, every month is a, it's a different financial literacy topic. Actually this month, we're going to be talking about financial, um, financial therapy. Um, but every month is something different. 2024 might look a little bit different. We might have some more group programs, like on a specific topic, we call them uh, boot camps on savings or on paying off debt. So more exciting things to come in 2024, but that's where we are right now. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I love what you, what, you, what you guys are both doing on social media. I mean, the content is really engaging, you know, the stories are really engaging and whatnot. Um, and also like on the feed posts is you guys are doing a great job with that. So shout Thank out you. to y'all for that. Uh, last question before we head out of here. Um, I always ask the guests that come on the podcast, who is one person that you feel needs to be a guest on the Latin Wealth Podcast? Ooh, this is a great question. Yeah. And the only rule is okay. you have to know them and you have to be able to connect this with that person. Okay. Let me think about this. (laughs) I'm going to let you think about it. I'm going to let you think about it while you think about it. Look, phenomenal episode. A lot of great information in here. If you guys learned anything from this show, like we said at the top of the episode, please share this episode with one other person that needs to hear this. Somebody that's dealing with student loans. Somebody that maybe needs some inspiration that's trying to get out of debt and whatnot. Um, Please share this episode with one other person out there. Uh, we do this for you guys. We do this for our people. And um, yeah. You hmm. still thinking? Yeah, I am. If you, I'm if like, you, I, I might give you I might give you a free pass. If you have anybody, just please feel free to shoot them over, text them, send me their Instagram. 
um, and we'll love to have them on in the show. Oh, I'm definitely going to think about somebody in and get back. <laughs> okay. Because I'm like, okay, I want to figure I out can... who, who I think is like a good person for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go ahead and think about it. Let me know. Uh, feel free to connect me with them and we'd love to, to have them on here. Um, if you have anybody in Dallas, that'd be great. We could do in-person interview. If not, Ooh. you know, um, open to doing virtual. But with that being said, for the people that want to reach out to you, that want to give you a follow, where can people find you? And I'll also link everything in the description of this podcast as well. Okay. So you can find us on Instagram, bam.coaching. So bam.coaching. You can also find us on TikTok, bam.coaching. Um, we also have our Facebook, bam coaching, um, and our website, by any means coaching.com. So it's all very intuitive there. Um, if you're in the New York area, uh, New York, New Jersey, DC, Maryland. Um, my private practice is also available to support folks with mental health specific stuff. It's a group practice. So we have clinicians out there and that's honest hour therapy. Mm, love it. Love it. And you guys know where to find us across all platforms on at Latin wealth and it's your boy, Chris, and we'll catch you guys next week.